Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12:35. Luke 12:35. Luke 12:35. I don't think any of us like to be late or unprepared for events that we have some responsibility for. We don't want to be late or unprepared. We like to come early, get the lay of the land, so to speak, and figure out how we're going to respond to whatever's coming down and then get our stuff ready. That's usually most of us. There's a few of us, however, unfortunately, uh, always kind of run late and uh, aren't well, well prepared. Um, and that doesn't make too much difference in social problems, not that much. It does create some problems when it involves our job, and then it causes really problems when we're talking about being late or unprepared for the biggest event of our life. Well, in our passage uh, this morning, it deals with the biggest event that has ever happened since the birth of Jesus Christ, which is his second coming. Second coming. I want to talk about that this morning. You say, well, this is the Christmas season. Why are we talking about the second coming? Well, I can't think of any better thing to talk about as we're celebrating his first coming than what? Getting ready and being aware of his second coming. And so to that extent, I want to speak from the words of Jesus about that. There is here in this passage several realities that are part and parcel of being aware and ready for that second coming. We are celebrating his first coming this next week. Oh, but my friends, that was just act one. There's another act. There's a rest of the story soon to come. And I can't think of any better way to celebrate his first coming than to be ready for his second coming. So, we're going to take a look at the passage through the end of the chapter. We'll read a few verses and then make some comments. The first reality is found in verses 35 through 40. Jesus addresses the people there and he says, Be dressed in readiness. Keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. So they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whose master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third, he finds them so. Blessed are those servants or slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the household had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. First reality is the reality of being ready and expectant. Once again, Jesus uses the parable. He tells a story. In this parable, there's two major sections, verses 36 through 38. He talks about those servants who have given some responsibilities while their master is away, and they are waiting for him to come back from this wedding feast, this particular time, coming back at the wedding feast, 
And whether he comes back at the second watch, which would probably be from 12 to 3 o'clock in the morning, or the third watch, which would be from 3 to 6 in the morning, whether or not he comes, they are ready and expected. And look at verse 37. It says that they'll be so greatly blessed that he himself will sit down and wait on them. That's uh, very unusual. That's not common. And what Jesus is meaning by that in this parable is that they're going to be greatly blessed. Greatly blessed as they're ready for him to come. Now, what does this mean practically for us? Now, before we talk about that, look at verses 39 through 40. This is kind of an interesting. He's talking about the head of a household had known what hour the thief was coming. What does that mean? What does that got to do with, you know, waiting for the master to come back from a wedding feast? Well, the idea here is, is if a homeowner had known, does know, when the thief would come, he wouldn't be sleeping at that hour, would he? No, he'd have the police there. He'd be ready. Well, here's, here's the idea. The app, application to us is we don't know when he's going to come. And so as the man who was waiting for the thief was alert, so too we are to be alert at all times. That's the point he's making. Now, how does it practically work out for us? Well, should we always be focusing on the second coming, talking about the second coming, emphasizing the second coming? Well, yes. We'd be going to prophecy conferences continually. Is that to be the heart of our ministry? Yes, but that's not exactly what I think he's talking about, being ready and expected. Some people have devised, you know, legalistic ideas about the second coming. I heard a Pentecostal lady many, many years ago Say that if you were holding a cigarette in your hand at the second coming, that would keep you from going up to be with the Lord. Uh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's what he's talking about. Pastor Chuck tells the story of his denomination. And they were te- teaching when he was a young boy that if you were in the movies when Christ came back, you weren't going. Is that what it means? No. I think what it means... I think what it means is to live a vibrant, active Christian life. Being ready is not necessarily making the whole point of your ministry the second coming. Of course we teach the second coming. Of course we believe the second coming. But it's that vibrant, active Christian life. So that when He comes, you're expected by both your words and your deeds. You're living that life. So Jesus tells us, we look to his second coming, the reality of being ready and expected. Second reality is found in verses 41 through 48. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing the parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says to his, in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, 
and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act in accordance will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive a, but a few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask for more. Second reality is the reality of coming judgment. The reality of coming judgment. Peter asked the question, well, who are you, who are you talking to? That parable that you just told, are you talking to, to us or just to everyone else? And Jesus doesn't bother to answer the question. He tells another parable. And in this parable, he puts forth a servant who has two choices. One, he can be a faithful servant, a sensible servant, and he takes care of the responsibilities. And uh, he is blessed. As a matter of fact, I say to you, verse 44, I will put him in charge of all his possessions. He takes care of his responsibilities. And he's doing that when his Lord comes, and he's greatly blessed. However, that servant, he has another choice. He could say, ah, oh, the Lord's not coming for a long time. And he begins to beat the slaves, verse 45, uh, beat the men and women, eat, drink, and get drunk. And when that master, when his master comes, when the master comes, he will um, judge him. And appoint him and assign him to the place of the unbelievers. Now, notice the principle. Here's the principle in verse 40, 48. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they've been trusted, much of him will be asked for more. Well, how does this apply to us? Well, it talks about a coming judgment. Coming judgment. Now, you're thinking, well, is he... Uh, is he talking to believers or is he talking to unbelievers? Well, I don't, he doesn't make that, make that distinction. He's talking to everyone. He's talking to everyone. And each one of us have a choice to make. Will we serve the Lord? Or will we not serve the Lord? And based on our choice, speaking to all, waiting for the second coming of Christ, speaking to all, there will be a judgment. Now notice in verses 47 through 48, there are levels. There are levels of judgment. The slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accordance with his will will receive many lashes, but the one who did not know it will receive but a few. As there are levels of reward in heaven, so there will be levels of what? Punishment in the judgment. Mm. Now, when you start talking about the judgment of God, people say, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait, wait, wait. You know, I really have a problem with a loving God. You know, a loving God judging people and sending them to hell. You know, I really just don't see that. Well, let me put it this way. One writer said that being 
outside the presence of God is destruction. Outside the presence of God is destruction. You see, when we live in this world, we are living in the very presence of God. He sends the rain on both the just and the unjust. He gives us an opportunity to live a just and good life, every one of us. And in that life, we say, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. I want to be in your presence forever. I want to put my trust in you. And I, I believe in your word. That when we pass from this earth in which the presence of God is fully expressed in this earth, we will pass to another place where we will experience the fullness of God's blessing and presence. And that place is called heaven. However, if we say during our life, well, you know, this Jesus stuff is whatever, you know. I'm not really interested in this Jesus stuff or serving the Lord. Then God will, at the end of our life, take us away from the fullness of his presence and place us in a place where there's no, absolutely no sense of his presence. And that place is called hell. So we have a choice to make in this life. We can serve the Lord and experience the fullness of his blessing at judgment, or we cannot serve the Lord, and the consequences of our actions will come upon us fully in this next life. And that is a, a very important reality of the second coming, being ready and expected, but also the reality of a coming judgment. The next reality is found in verses 49 through 53. I have come to cast fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? I tell you no, but rather division. From now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two. Two against three, they will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter. Daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The next reality is the reality of the offense of the cross. The reality of the offense of the cross. Now, during this season, we always sing about what? Peace on earth. Jesus came to bring peace on earth. That's true, but it's not yet fully completed. Matter of fact, when he finishes work, his work with the second coming, yes, there will be peace on earth. It'll be wonderful to live here on earth for that thousand years with Jesus in Jerusalem. It'll be peace on earth. It'll be incredibly wonderful. However, (laughs) at his first coming, he brings division. Notice what he says. This baptism that I'm about to undergo is not going to be pleasant. And I'm really stressing to finish it, to complete it. And what is he talking about with his baptism? He's talking about his cross. Why is he he yearning to finish it? Because he wants to deliver us from our sins. He wants this work that he's come to do 
to be completed. He wants to help us find peace with God. He wants to wash us clean from our sins. That's his heart. That's why he came. But when he comes, the first time, with the cross comes an offense. There's an offense of the cross, and it causes division, not peace. Well, why is that? Well, there's two responses to the cross, the message of the cross. The first response is, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe that his death paid the penalty for my sins. Yes, yes, yes. I accept Christ and he washes me clean from my sins. It's oh so wonderful to be in the kingdom of God. And now I have, according to Romans 5.1, I have now what? Peace with God. Yes, yes, yes. However, there's another response. And the other response is, no. No, I don't believe that. And they look at us, those of us who have accepted Christ, and they see us as... uh, Religious fundamentalists, <laughs> Bible thumpers, bigoted, homophobic, uh, redneck, narrow-minded Christians. And there's a division. They make fun of us. They persecute them. And even sometimes in this world, even now, they kill the Christians. There's a division. And it, it goes even right to the very family. Right to the family. That division is so severe. Religious people, when they're confronted with the message of the cross, are offended. How dare you say that my man-made religion will not get me to God? How dare you say, as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Unless you're born again, you shall not enter into the kingdom. That, well, you're just... How could you say that? How can you be so narrow-minded? Narrow-minded, redneck Christian? Religious people are deeply offended by the message of the cross, and it causes division. Non-religious people are the same way. Well, they look at us and they say, well, wait a minute, I'm not so bad. Oh, I've done a few bad things, but my good things more than outweigh my bad things. And you say, you're going to heaven because you believe in Jesus, and I'm not, and I've done a lot better than you. How dare you say that? You're offended. And there's division. Hmm. How does this apply to us? Well, believers need to do two things. Two things. First, don't be the cause of the offense. <laughs> Not by your prejudice or your actions or your unloveliness or your stubbornness or your particular view on one thing or another. You don't be the... There's enough offense in the cross to, to cause division <laughs> with the unbelievers. We don't need to be the cause of it. And the second thing we need to do is Don't hold back from sharing the message of the cross. It will cause division. Sometimes the reason we hold back is because, well, they'll make fun of me. And we take it personally. It's not you. It's not you. It's the message. Amen? The message causes division. The message causes an offense. Don't hold back. Why? Because every once in a while, you'll find someone who will think, oh, yes. Tell me more. Tell me more. 
And it's worth it to take that offense that comes when you share the gospel, looking for that one or two that are out there, or even more, who desperately need deliverance from their sin. So we have the reality of the being ready and expectant, the coming judgment, the offense of the cross, next in verses 54 through 56. And he was also saying to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it turns out. When you see a south wind blowing, you say, be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of earth and sky. Why do you not analyze this present time? The reality of the signs of his coming. The reality of the signs of his coming. Now, I'm a weather nut. I am, I confess. Hi, my name is Neil, and I'm a weather nut. Just ask my wife. Most favorite part of my day is listening to the weather report. I love I love to figure out. Now, they're telling us that this season was supposed to be a La Nina year, right? Supposed to be no rain, very light rain. Well, if you look at the weather map, this is a classic El Nino storm. Low it up in the Gulf of Alaska, sucking in all this warm, moist air from all the way from Hawaii. That is a class, this is a classic El Nino wind. And yet they're calling it La Nina. They don't know anything. See, I'm a weather nut. I get into that. I'm really excited about that we're having a El Nino storm in a La Nina winter. And then I go home. One of the most exciting things for me at the end of the day, after we've had a rain, is to check and listen to Fritz or Dallas and find out, did they get the amount of water that rained? How many inches did it? That's exciting for me. I want to see that. <laughs> I'm a weather nut. I can't help it. Guess what? Jesus in these verses is speaking to people like me. (laughs) You know, you can tell the weather. You can figure out what's going on, but you can't see the signs of his coming. Now, in Luke 19, verse 44, he, he says that destruction had come upon Jerusalem, would come upon Jerusalem because what? They didn't recognize the time of their visitation. They missed it. They missed it. There were signs that the Messiah was here. But they missed it. They missed it. Now the Bible tells us that since the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, we are in the last days. Amen? We're in the last days. But even now, the events of these last few years have shown us, especially since 1948, 1967, and on and on and on, that we are indeed getting pretty close to these last days. Now, is Christ going to come back and our lifetime, well, we don't know. But it seems to be pushing us even closer, even closer to that time. Now, that's the difference between our Jew- major difference between our Jewish friends who believe in the Bible and uh, Christians. I remember once we were up at Calvary, Costa Mesa, and Pastor Chuck had an official, some officials from the state of Israel speaking. And they were not uh, Christians, but they were giving us up-to-date, you know, what's going on. Chuck likes to do that, and he's got, you know, he has the ins with people in Israel. So we had, and there were several rabbis there, not 
not Christians, rabbis. And uh, one of the rabbis sat at my table. We're having lunch afterwards after the discussion. And then Pastor Chuck came and sat at our table. And they started talking, the rabbi and Pastor Chuck, back and forth. And, and the rabbi said to Chuck, he said, you know the major difference, one of the major differences, not the only difference, the major difference between you and me is I believe that the Messiah hasn't come and you believe that he's already come. And it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen when he comes. And Chuck smiled and says, yes, and his name will be Jesus. <laughs> his name will be Jesus. You see, they missed Missed it. He came. Now, what's the application for us? Let's not be like our Jewish friends and miss it. They missed the first coming. There are signs. They're there. We're very, very close. In early 1971, somebody gave me a book. Most of you have maybe hopefully read it. Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. That book energized my faith. It really did. I was a Christian. When I read that book, I said, my heavens, what the Bible says is we're right here. It's, it's, it's going to happen. There are people in your lives that look around and think, you know, this, this, is, this is a strange time we're living in. Use that book. Use that book. Or books like it. Now, someone gave me uh, this book here, uh, the Gillilands, Betty and Frank Gillilands. What in the world is co- what 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 in the world is going on? By David Jeremiah. He's a good Bible-believing pastor down in San Diego. Excellent book. Use these kind of books. Use these kind of books and say, here, here, this this is the sign. We're right here. You'd be surprised. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't be kind of like, well, whatever you know. Kind of walking around. No, 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 no. It's close. Use these books and Late Great Planet Earth and all those kind of books to really help people find the Savior. Point him to the signs. The signs are there, guys. They're right here. We're, he's right at the door. Use these kind of things. Reality, the signs of his coming. Finally, verses 57 through 59. And why do you not even, on your own initiative, judge what is right? For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him so he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison or say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. The last reality is the reality of making things right. Making things right. Once again, Jesus uses a parable, and the parable is about settling a dispute before you get to the judge. Now notice verse 57. I believe what he's saying is, in this parable, this person knew that they had done wrong. Notice what it says. And why do you not even on your own initiative Judge what is right. He's saying, you knew you're wrong, and if you know you're wrong, before you get to court, (laughs) you'd be smart, right? 
You'd be smart to kind of settle it. Why? Because you don't know what's going to happen when you get before the judge and the jury. How many times have we seen, oh, you know, big cases, and we're thinking, oh, yeah, this guy's going down, and no, he gets set free. Or we're thinking, no, this person is innocent, and he gets convicted. You never know what's going to happen when you get before court. So if you know you're wrong and you're getting dragged into court, hey, listen, here's an idea, Jesus says. Get it settled before you get to court. Now, the application for us is obvious to all. There is a judgment coming. We had just talked about that in the previous verses. There's a judgment coming. Amen? And it will be absolutely fair and just. Amen? God is going to be fair and just. And we are absolutely at fault. <laughs> We're in the wrong. You know you're going to get it. Why wouldn't you strike a deal now? You can get a really good deal, make a really good compromise. You'll get off scot-free. No penalty, no probation, no fine. Because Jesus took the punishment. Amen? Why wouldn't you get a deal now before you're dragged into court? The Bible says it is appointed for men to die once and then the judgment is coming. Let's make a deal. That'd be a good name of a maybe a TV show. Let's make a deal. You know, kind of a contest thing. Let's make a deal. The reality of making things right. Now, last week I was out for my walk, walking around, praying. It's not bothering anybody. When past this house, the garage was open, and out came a dog. Now it was a golden lab. Now, normally golden labs are pretty mellow. This golden lab was not mellow. And man, he had me in the middle of the street, and he was running around me, and he was not wagging his tail. And he came after me, and as he jumped at me, I gave him my arm. Now, if you want to know, I'll tell you, I won't tell you everybody, but if you want to know why I gave him my arm and he bit me, got me right here. Got me right here. Then he let me go. And he saved his life by letting me go. <laughs> and the owner came out and grabbed him and, 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 she, and she was all flustered and said, oh, he never, you know, He's never done this before. And I said, well, he bit me. And I was kind of annoyed, and so I just kind of, I didn't say anything to him. I wasn't nasty. I just said, he did bite me, and I went on my way. Later on that day, the owner came by and humbly apologized over and over again. Because they just looked down the street. They know who I am. Then, later on, when I wasn't home, uh, her husband came by. And apologized again. They were very smart. Now I'm not planning on I'm not planning on suing them. I'm not planning on having their dog impounded or anything like that. That's not my plan. But guess what? They were very very smart. Why? Because they wanted to settle. They wanted to settle before things got out of hand. That's what Jesus is saying here. 
There is a judgment coming, guys. And you can make a deal of a lifetime. Why would you let yourself be dragged before the judgment seat of God? Okay. There's a lot of silly emails going around. In there? I got an email this, uh, this, this week. It's about um, one of the major banks, J.P. Morgan and the Federal Reserve are manipulating the, the price of silver. Did you know that? They're manipulating the price of silver, and if they get away with it, the whole market's going to crash. What do you do with that? How, how, do you, how do you handle that? Or did you see the one about the baby carrots? The baby carrots, the little tiny carrots you get in a plastic bag? They're not baby carrots. They're ground down from misshapen, <laughs> ugly carrots. And then they're dipped in chlorine. I got an email from my cousin. He's thanking everybody for all his educational emails that he's gotten this year. And he says, they've totally messed me up and have little chance of recovery. I no longer will open a bathroom door without using a paper towel or having a waitress put a lemon in my water worrying about the bacteria. I have trouble shaking hands with somebody who's been driving because the number one pastime while driving is picking their nose. I must also send my special thanks to whoever sent me the one about the rat poop and the glue on envelopes because now I have to use a wet sponge on every envelope or cleaning the top of the cans before I drink it. And he says, I no longer have any money, but I'm looking forward to the $15,000 that Bill Gates and Microsoft are going to give me for me participating in their special email program. I can't eat at KFC. This is funny. Because their chickens are actually horrible mutant freaks with no eyes, feet, or feathers. <laughs> Thanks to all of you, I've learned that my prayers only get answered if I forward an email to seven of my friends and make a wish within five <laughs> I mean, how do you believe some of this stuff? There's a lot of stuff floating around, a lot of crazy stuff, amen? But I can tell you some real, true stuff, and that's the words of Christ. He's coming soon, and we better live in the reality of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your loving grace to us. That you've come this first time. Oh, but we're so thankful and looking forward to that second coming. I pray that's truthful for each one of us. May the words uh, spoken this morning from your scriptures prick our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.